0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Paul Millard explains how he went from a non-target school to a research associate position at McKinsey. Listen how he managed to break in even after getting officially rejected, and how he ended up at BCG after getting his MBA at MIT. Learn also how he has now left the formal strategy consulting positions behind and started a new life. Where work isn't the number one priority. Enjoy. Paul Millard, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Doises podcast. Thank you, Patrick. It'd be great if you could give the listeners just a short summary of your of your background.
1: Sure. So I. I think the interesting part of the story starts where I first log on to Wall Street Oasis. And this is the summer of my junior year of college, which was 2006. And I think perhaps a lot of people listening now don't really understand how long ago that was in terms of how little technology or information we had about kind of investment banks or consulting firms at the time. But I was basically grasping for straws, and Wall Street Oasis. I think it was still named that at the time, right? Right a bit at '06, it might have been iBanking Oasis. <laughs> yeah, way I, back in the I day. Don't know,
0: if it was 06, I don't know what it
1: was, but yeah. I was very much at the like, oh my gosh, all these prestigious firms. I was, I wanted to work for one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think consulting was something that really intrigued me, and there were a couple forums on consulting and I basically started compiling information from all the firms, all the banks, all the kind of interesting job opportunities. I wanted to work in something that was not just like big corporate. Um, So that's kind of where my journey starts. Mm -hmm. Um, And just trying to access any resources I could. I'll boil it down and you can dig in wherever you want. Sure. But essentially, Got rejected from every firm in the country, uh, consulting firm and banking firm coming out of college. I was graduating from University of Connecticut, and they just didn't recruit at places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found some alums to get some interviews, but ultimately ended up getting rejected from over 100 firms. Um, went to work for GE in the FMP program in finance, even though I had done industrial engineering in undergrad and But I did a little management. Mm -hmm. And then from there, about six months in, once I hit like that calendar year and I was able to take it on the resume to say like 2007, 2008, (laughs) I started applying for jobs again and was just finding pretty much whatever I could. Part of my goal is to escape the corporate world. I was working in Cincinnati at the time and then Jacksonville, Florida Um, And I didn't really want to do a rotational program. So I was kind of searching online and I found a McKinsey job for a research analyst doing manufacturing research, Mm -hmm. basically lean manufacturing and supply chain stuff on monster.com. And long story short, ended up applying and landing that job. And that really kind of changed the trajectory of uh, the next 10 years of my life, which was pretty much centered around strategy consulting.
0: Interesting. So you're you're basically coming from what people on WSO would call a non-target, but you're graduating at 7 I'm surprised. Had there were there cracks already kind of in the economy by the time you graduated? I assume maybe a little bit. Surprised you were having trouble getting a job at 07. <laughs> so just, it's, pre,
1: it's pretty funny. I think there was a lag. Um, right. There were two things. One, I was at GE, and for, I think in the second. Like right after I joined GE, they had missed some notable target. Which, if you look back, it's very clear what was starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had missed some target, and they hadn't missed a target in a crazy amount of quarters.
0: But this was this was um, during an internship. You mean for like your junior summer or like? What? No,
1: this was during my full time job. So this was. So I'm saying fall, like I'm saying going back 2007. Yeah, what about then. I mean, but what about winter
0: 2008? What about undergrad, though, like, so you, before you even started full time, were you basically doing internships between your junior and summer, your junior and senior year? And specifically, uh, you said you you applied to all these prestigious firms and couldn't get into anywhere, and then you ended up taking a job at GE. Tell me about that application process. Like, why do you think, what do you think was, you know, looking back, now that you have all the knowledge you have, was there a specific reason you think it, it didn't work out?
1: Yeah. Very clear. Mm-hmm. So I had done two internships at Pratt & Whitney, uh, United Technologies in Connecticut, and then I did one at GE, and that was how I was able to land the job at GE. Right. But applying to consulting, once I was on the other side, I felt like a fool looking back because <laughs> you realize, I think I my first week of training at McKinsey, I met this uh, guy that became a good friend. And he went to Stanford, and he tells me, well, freshman year, I thought I wanted to break into consulting, mm-hmm. so I started doing like 25 to 50 practice case interviews a year. And he said he like lined up all these things. I was like, oh wow, I really had no shot. Junior mm-hmm. year, when I was just kind of tossing apps in from the ether, nobody I knew knew anything about case interviews, so right. I was doing them in the mirror with myself. Uh, not super, not super useful for feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just getting into McKinsey with the research position I found was not as demanding for the case interviews and also just kind of lucked out with a perfect string of like did well on four or five straight case interviews and kind of lucked out.
0: When you ended up finally getting into McKinsey, yeah. I mean. So tell me a little bit about wow. that specific role. How should people think about that division within, McKin- within McKinsey? And is it a large division? Is it an opportunity where people could get into you know a very obviously one of the strongest brands in the world? Is it is it an opportunity for other people there? Are there other similar divisions like that?
1: Yeah. So I think in the last ten years, these firms have dramatically scaled, right? Mm-hmm. I think since I've been there, since I was at McKinsey in 08 and also at BCG which I worked at later, they've been growing at 10% plus per year. Mm. It's kind of crazy given the what other companies are doing during this time. Right. But they've grown exponentially and there's enormous numbers of opportunities especially in the departments I was in, mm-hmm. which was the knowledge network Okay. Um, and I still think these are incredible opportunities and a lot easier than when I was trying to break in because it's just a lot bigger. Um, but I still got all the same training. Um, I was dedicated to the operations practice. I was working with the consultant. You still, had to, you still I, had to pass my the hours were actually better
0: and you still had to pass the case interviews. It wasn't as if you, it was for some division that was, you know, didn't require that.
1: Correct. Right. so, um, so tell me They about were a that. little looser. They were a little yeah. focused, a little different in the time. But now I think the process is pretty similar to consultant recruiting. So tell me a little bit about how you prepped for that and why you think
0: you did well. You said you had a kind of a, a string of luck in terms of how well you did. I, I don't really buy that, but tell me how you actually prepped for, for <laughs> these. <laughs> I know you, it sounds like you got the actual interview just through a resume drop. Is that correct? Like through one of these online portals, Monster or whatever?
1: Yeah. Correct? So at the time, the knowledge network recruiting was still locally done through the Waltham office of McKinsey. Okay. And they had a recruiter that flagged my profile because somebody was leaving the manufacturing mm. uh, research role. And this person was also screening resumes while doing research on GE Six Sigma program, which I was leading a project doing Six Sigma stuff while I was at GE. So I honestly think it's kind of like the stars aligned there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also had a very unique background, which put me in an interesting position to get that job because I had industrial engineering. There just weren't engineers applying for research uh, positions at McKinsey. And I had manufacturing experience in undergrad and was now working in finance. So I had this weird mix of skills that really put me in a good position for that. Mm-hmm. More so than me being like incredible in the case interviews. And so do you feel uh, like... So I think I had a, yeah, I had a lot to offer. Um, I had more experience than the other people they were hiring, which were right out of college. And, um, yeah, I think it was just a good time because it, they weren't doing these large-scale recruiting efforts. That's fair. And did you feel like you were,
0: did you feel like you had targeted McKinsey specifically or were you just blanket applying to like
1: everywhere on Monster,
0: (laughs) seeing what you could come up with?
1: Well, that's the funny thing. I talk to students now and they'll tell me, well, I'll only work at BCG, McKinsey or Bain. And for me, like I would have worked, I worked, I would have worked at like Johnson and Douglas Consulting Mm -hmm. Inc. Um, but I was getting rejected from them too. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think it was just the the perfect alignment of like the job timing and my background. Sure. Okay. But um yeah, I would have worked at any firm cuz I I was getting rejected from uh all the firms again.
0: Yeah, and at that point it was just the the it was very clear that we were in a recession, correct? At that at that stage.
1: Uh it was still a little early so i changed jobs to mckinsey in june of 2008 and i basically saw the economy melt down from i remember like the day-to-day cafeteria and just like walking in and seeing the newspaper headlines every morning right um (laughs) from mckinsey and then we froze hiring and and then they actually ended up laying off some people i didn't get cut but probably wasn't making enough, but, um, mm. yeah.
0: What were you making? Like, I'm guessing it's different.
1: Yeah. So I went from I went from GE where I was making 56 at the, like I think they had bumped salaries up. Um, and I think I went to 50 grand at McKinsey for the research position. And they were very concerned I wasn't going to take the job with a pay cut, but I probably would have taken the job at 20 grand a year too. <laughs> and explain why
0: explain why to the, to the audience. why would you why were you willing to take such a big pay cut?
1: I mean, I think looking back, it's validated too. It's just it's a learning organization. There aren't many learning organizations where the incentives are aligned around, internal business model the way you operate and the way you do work the speed of the work and the quality of coaching and on top of that just incredible actual like week-long trainings facilitated by internal experts and people that really care about the development of others it's they're pretty magical places I think they might even still be a little underrated for their learning uh, Mm -hmm. powers Mm -hmm. I think If you had my experience, it's it's almost like a dream job.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Like I was still working much less than uh, frontline traveling consultants because I was just going to an office every day and working a pretty fixed shift. Uh, So it was a pretty amazing uh, time. Tell me what the I don't know if you could replicate that
0: now. Tell me what the day to day was like for this type of role. So it's like a research role, Uh, right? You're you're basically trying to
1: yeah. So. So what does that mean? Uh, If you haven't worked at a consulting firm, it probably doesn't make much sense. But essentially, you're dedicated to a topic. You're either a functional topic focus. Mm -hmm. So you could be something like operations or um, marketing or a pricing knowledge expert where you focus on pricing for certain industries and kind of tools and methodologies. Or you can be industry focused. So you could be like a healthcare expert for the US. Got it. And essentially, what you're doing is interfacing with the frontline client teams who are staffed on site. Mm-hmm. And they'll submit research requests to like the manufacturing person. So I was getting requests from all around the world and mm-hmm. saying, like, what's the latest thinking on topic X? Those are kind of the simplest ones. And then the most advanced ones are when you're on the phone with the team and after you've been there almost six six months to a year, you've done a hundred things in one area and suddenly you're working with the team on the ground, or not on the ground, but remotely and kind of being like ad hoc consults who can like lead an analysis or help the team structure a framing of the problem or different things like that. So is that as much as like you're actually going into,
0: you're actually going into like they're trying to help them form their thesis, trying to help them form whatever industry analysis slides, whatever they, whatever they're kind of attacking for, for a specific client. Is that correct?
1: Right. So yeah, it was an interesting role to be doing that so early in my career because I probably talked with several hundred teams doing like lean manufacturing work around the globe, Mm -hmm. which means after 25 to 30 of these conversations or mini engagements with teams, I was suddenly having conversations with EMs and junior partners and even partners Mm -hmm. kind of talking through like, here's how this team over here is approaching it. Have you thought about this? And, I developed this skill earlier than you would if you were just a consultant of learning how to thought partner structure and kind of hypothesize and approach a uh, consulting engagement, which was pretty cool. Do you think that,
0: so, you know, is this, is this type of role something you could stay in for a while and build a career out of? Is it something where you saw... Was there somebody like your boss or someone that you could you, you saw yourself being able to emulate, or was it something where, hey, I'm going to be here for you know two to five years and go to business school or kind of take a different pivot? What's the, what's the you know what what everyone on WSO calls it exit ops? What are the exit ops of this specific role?
1: Yeah, so I think it's changed a bit now. I think these roles are probably more of a hybrid between research and consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could really do whatever you wanted like you would get hit up by recruiters from all sorts of companies that recruit consultants mm-hmm. you probably have to be a little craftier because they kind of don't target directly the research associates as much as they do the BAs right for associates um so you, but having worked at a firm like that you still have a lot of options a lot of people want to hire somebody that worked at McKinsey no matter what you did inside the firm right um So, yeah, a lot of people would go back to business school or grad school after two to five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people switched to the consulting track. Uh, Some people became, like, team leaders where they do a lot of, like, scoping and uh, leading practice initiatives with uh, practice leaders from the consulting side. Okay. Um, Yeah, it could really range a lot, but...
0: So, did you see yourself, um, what kind of... At what point did you kind of look up and say, hey, I should start applying somewhere else? Or what, were the, what was the thought process behind that? Uh,
1: so I really liked what I was doing there. I ended up getting a manager who wor- did this grad program at MIT, which I had also been curious about. It was a combined systems engineering and MBA program. Mm-hmm. So we decided in my second year that I would apply to that. And then, if I didn't get in there, I would basically just stay at McKinsey. Okay. Um, if I didn't get in, they wanted me to switch to the consulting track. So I, I don't know what would have happened um, if that had happened, but I ended up getting in and going to business school
0: after two years. Okay. And so, what was the thought process when you were talking about that with your, I guess, kind of your internal mentor? Um, was it, hey, this is a really interesting degree? What, you know, why? it sounded like you had a good thing going, you were doing interesting work, you were getting a lot of exposure to senior management or, you know, to to partners and junior partners and and the work was interesting. Why change?
1: Yeah, I think a few things looking back, I think one, I was still a bit young Mm -hmm. and I was getting a little uh, frustrated. I think I didn't really know how to, take ownership and lead initiatives and kind of carve my own path as much as I could ease much more easily do now or later in my career. Yep. Um, so I think there was little impatience and kind of looking for that next step and not really knowing what to do except kind of keep doing what I was doing just slightly better. Um, so I've, I've always been somebody that, Kind of just likes going on new learning adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, this has ended up in me being self employed, which is pr- probably where I was inevitably going to be, but it wasn't as clear to me then. Um, and, you're forced to learn and I was also <laughs> forced still to learn just everything. trying to prove, prove myself, I think. <laughs> yeah, you're forced to
0: learn everything if you work for yourself, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's such a degree of learning that I totally didn't expect. Mm-hmm. so many people will say to me like you can do what you did because you worked 10 years in consulting mm-hmm. and i think maybe a year or two of the consulting helped but i've really had to learn so much from scratch i mean i'm sure you know building your own thing for a while now
0: yeah it's uh it's you, know, you gotta become dangerous enough in a lot of different things to, to be able to <laughs> survive um, no, it's interesting. So you're okay. So you're at McKinsey. You you get into this uh, MBA program. You're at MIT. It's a it's a combined engineering systems and strategy and ops MBA. And uh, what do they call that degree in the systems degree? masters? Yeah, that's, so that's called
1: the Leaders for Global Operations program. Okay. At
0: cool. MIT. Cool. Okay. So you're you do that dual degree program in two years and. Tell me, were you recruiting right out of school? What was the thought process of, okay, now I'm going to go, you were thinking, hey, I'm going to go become a frontline consultant. Was that the thought?
1: Uh, Initially going in, so, like, I'm going to go
0: um, not be the research associate, I'm going to be the actual business development associate or business associate.
1: Yeah, I think early in my career. hmm Looking back, I don't think I really knew what I was doing other than kind of chasing prestige or the next shiny object. Mm -hmm. I think Paul Graham has a great essay about... um, He calls prestige a powerful magnet that warps even your beliefs about what you enjoy. And I think, if I'm being truly honest, that really is something that was probably overpowering me the first five to seven years of my career. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I got lucky getting into McKinsey and then MIT and never really paused to kind of reflect with like, what the heck am I actually doing with my career? What's the goal here? Mm -hmm. Um, I think a downside to an MBA sometimes is that it almost muddies the water. You go from thinking, you know what you're going to do to suddenly being exposed to 50 more cool ideas of jobs and professions and industries. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of went in thinking maybe I'd go into healthcare and do ops and lean manufacturing there. Mm-hmm. But I think after an intern or a small project I did, I realized that if I worked in healthcare, I would be personally filled with anxiety and stress all the time because Why? change is so hard in that industry. Oh, it's just, yeah. It's just hard to actually push anything through. Uh, yeah, yeah. At least working in like a hospital, which is what I was looking at. Okay. Um, so I... Basically decided to go back into consulting, but Mm -hmm. I decided this about a month or two before I started recruiting again my second year. Okay, so did you you had taken
0: an internship over that first summer during your MBA, and then basically that your your second year, you're still thinking to yourself, "Oh man, okay, forget the healthcare thing," and all your other you know classmates basically have a already a full time offer lined up. How do you end up actually breaking getting into BCG?
1: Um. Yeah, so... But it seems it seems like a tough t- re- t- tough this, task. This is where the know. story remains entertaining. Okay. But, um, <laughs> I, um, so I, I did a six-month internship. It's, we do these fellowships and theses with partner companies as part of the degree program I did at MIT. So That's I, great. I was working at Raytheon, and I worked in a frontline manufacturing role. Mm-hmm. I also realized they didn't want to go back into manufacturing either okay. um, because that was also very personally stressful. Um, But I decided I would just apply to all the consulting firms again. Now I went to business school without sponsorship for McKinsey. And I also didn't really talk to anyone from McKinsey while I was at business school. So I applied to McKinsey again in this like weird position as somebody that didn't get sponsorship, but decided last minute to go back into it. I think I was a little scared to reach out and talk to people and tell people I was applying. Um, this shows you how kind of young I was, but I applied to McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and basically McKinsey decided I didn't really have a good story for why I want to come back. So I got rejected from McKinsey again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got rejected from McKinsey before and after I worked there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got rejected from BCG and Bain because they were like, I'm sure they were thinking, why is this person applying here if he worked at McKinsey before? Why wouldn't he just go back there? Yeah. Um, so I didn't have a good story. And I ended up applying to this small firm, which I actually was way more excited about anyway, called A-Connect. Mm-hmm. And they were staffing independent consultants on Client Projects, their kind of the equivalents or business talent group, uh, Eden McCallum. There's a bunch of firms like it. Basically, Hourly, Nerd, or Catalan does the same thing now. Okay, um, And that was a hybrid role of doing a little talent recruiting of the independent professionals and also working on consulting projects. So I went and worked there for a year and a half before I ended up going to BCG. So tell me exactly, like
0: why that firm so what what interested you about that so you said it, i mean you were basically in your second year you didn't have a full-time offer or you had a full-time offer but it was in healthcare or whatever the, that internship didn't work out all your classmates are kind of headed towards you know the mckinsey the bcgs the baines uh-huh. the investment banks and you're going to this company I, which I, I haven't heard of a connect is this is this a well-known company what's the what was the thought process of just hey i'm gonna Try this out. Did it seem more
1: entrepreneurial? So it was founded, but yeah, it, it was a mix of all those things. So it was founded yeah. by ex-McKinsey directors from Switzerland, okay, and they had a U.S. branch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was a good match because it was combining a few different threads. One was I had the McKinsey experience. Two was it was in, engaged in what hadn't been called the future of work yet. But some people were talking about freelancing and kind of Mm self-employment. That was exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was also just an opportunity to work at a small firm. So the U.S. team had 10 people. Um, And I went to the information session. They came to MIT. And I was, I think, one of two people. And I was the only person that came that was prepared. Mm -hmm. So the head of the U.S. office was there and three other people, so I basically just talked to them about talent and the future of work for an hour, which became a lot of what I was really interested and excited about over the next few years, Mm -hmm. Um, and that led to a job offer, which was pretty cool. All right, awesome. So you're saying people just weren't interested, and so you kind of just, (laughs) (laughs) you basically just like had the job. I I had also struck out of all the other consulting firms at this point. That's it, fair. I was kind of feeling a bit embarrassed, mm-hmm. um, but I'm. I think if I had gotten an offer of like McKinsey, Bain, BCG, all these other firms, or corporate strategy positions, and A Connect, I think I was, still would have taken A Connect.
0: Okay. So you're you go there and you're there for a couple of years. So tell me what was what was that like, um, and then specifically, what what kind of opened up the door back to BCG?
1: Sure. So um, that, that was a cool experience. A few takeaways. Where, where
0: were you, by the way? One, so were you still in Boston?
1: Anymore? I was in Boston. Yep, okay. Um, I worked on a couple client projects, uh, but also was focused a lot on the talent side, so building out the pool of independent consultants. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet a ton of like, ex-strategy consultants who were working in a self-employed manner. And this really piqued my curiosity for why I eventually became self-employed. But these people worked on their own schedule, had more flexibility, and were generally very engaged and alive in life, Mm -hmm. which was something I was not seeing in senior people in consulting firms. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that really excited me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like our mentor program. (laughs) What's that? It's
0: like our mentor program. We have a lot of people kind of either in between going, getting, you know, going to business school or they've, they've done the consulting route already and they're kind of on their own thing, doing their own, doing their own thing and kind of using the mentor program as like a side supplement income, which is interesting. But yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, I got to look up this A-Connect firm. I'm curious now. It sounds like almost a little bit like Graphite as well. Have you heard of Graphite or um, what used to be um, Spare Hire?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I've, I've also written pretty extensively about these things. If you search consulting talent yep. uh, platforms, mm-hmm. I think I have the number one and two Google search results. Oh, wow. So if anyone's super curious about that, you can just read through one of those articles. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to share more with you later. Yeah, no,
0: for sure. So sorry, go ahead. So you were there for a couple of years and then basically um, tell me how that was going.
1: Yeah, so the head of the U.S. left to start a competitor right before I joined. And then um, in 2012, when I graduated, there was like a downturn in the economy, and the guy that they replaced him, they ended up firing him because the returns weren't as good as they expected. Mm. And then um, there's a third guy who's not my favorite human on Earth. So (laughs) essentially, it was just kind of flailing around but doing some pretty cool stuff Mm -hmm. um, and then got recruited by a recruiter at BCG that was looking for somebody that had worked at McKinsey in the Knowledge Network uh, Mm -hmm. to help them with this uh, organizational transformation practice they were starting to build.
0: Interesting. And so tell me about that practice specifically. And then um, it seems like after a year at BCG, that's when kind of things started kind of um, being a little bit more um, entrepreneurial for you. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So my time at a connect too, there's a big life shift that happened for me. I went through a pretty brutal health crisis, uh, dealing with Lyme disease and some other just health ailments that Mm -hmm. was undiagnosed for a while. And then just pretty brutal treatment and recovery Okay, put me out for basically a year and a half. Um, It was working remotely, flexibly. Like my employer was fantastic at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think coming back from that, I was really filled with much more kind of focus around like what the heck am I doing with my job? Why am I just going after all these brands? What really matters? What do I want to share with the world? Um, So when I was joining BCG, a lot of these things were starting to kind of unlock for me. Mm-hmm. getting a lot more confidence about what I was energized by. Mm-hmm. I was stepping up more to get involved more at BCG and the things I was excited by. Mm-hmm. I was connecting with people outside of work, basically around future of work stuff, organizational change, uh, more talent stuff. Um, so, That was a pretty exciting time for me. Yeah. And then BCG also being there, having worked at a place like McKinsey and then also having more work experience and age, I was able to really uh, step up and work closely with a few partners, um, join their faculty to lead trainings and workshops um, and get involved in a lot of cool uh, projects while I was there. Sounds awesome. So why would you leave
0: a great platform like that? Tell me what was kind of going through your head while you were there.
1: I don't know. I think <laughs> so. So, I have my own podcast called Reimagine Work, and I mm-hmm. interview a lot of entrepreneurs, freelancers, self employed people. And a comforting thing I've found, perhaps, is that a lot of people who are self employed always will leave jobs after like a year and a half or two years. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I know now is that I love learning. And I love the challenge. And I also just love creating my own things. Mm -hmm. And I think for better or for worse, matter the job. You spend six to nine months in many full-time jobs learning at a breakneck pace. And then the learning remains, but it morphs into a different kind of learning. It is kind of learning how to be a good citizen of a firm, learning the political ropes, learning like, Here's how somebody here succeeds. That kind of stuff that just totally drains me. Right. Um, and I basically wanted to push myself even further on the consulting side. So this was still a knowledge and research role. Yep. Um, and I wanted to get like a little more consulting chops because at this time I was kind of thinking I would tend toward a self employment path. that's some point, right? I was thinking probably much further down the road. The <laughs> road, but uh, I ended up being after the next job I did, which is where I did learn a ton of uh, frontline consulting. And so, tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I was recruited again. This was for a CEO and board advisory group at Russell Reynolds, mm-hmm. and they're an executive search firm, and they basically have these relationships of boards and CEOs. And we're trying to figure out what are the products or services we can develop for this space. So I came and was able to bring a lot of like process discipline around how do you deliver, how do you create deliverables, research, um, run a consulting process? Mm -hmm. uh, Because executive search firms are very transactional. It's get a job spec, uh, find candidates, and then deliver the candidate. They're not used to this like bottoms up, uh, top down structuring and research process. Right. Um, so, so I was able to really step up and lead that, um, and do it with clients that are pretty incredible. So I was working with boards, uh, fortune 500 companies, um, global companies,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, CEOs, uh, I was doing CEO succession projects, CEO transition projects, um, and was able to interact very closely with, some pretty senior people, in a way that gave me a ton of confidence. Um, I was able also training and teaching other people in, inside the firm, like how to do consulting, problem solving, and um, helping build the team as well. Did you feel like again here?
0: You know, it's not you're there for a few years still. So it sounds like you're 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 at you're every, at each jump you're making. You're there from like one to two years, right? And so, like you said, you're kind of the. You're learning a ton in this first six to nine months. Was it the same here where like, okay, maybe maybe it was closer to a year where you're doing all this new kind of interesting work. Did you feel like it was flattening out again for you by the you know, by the end, or do you feel like it was just something else was, was pulling at you?
1: Yeah, so this was this is probably the most challenging role I had. But yeah. after a year and a half, I think I was starting to reach a inflection point in my life and career Mm -hmm. essentially it's keep doing what i'm doing right and i was really good at it by then i was a really good consultant i could teach others i could execute on projects um, and do it pretty well and like in a firm like that it i wasn't working crazy hours so it was pretty good life were you making decent money by that point Um, where
0: had the pay gone up um, since you're post MBA, yeah. So
1: the pay was like very post MBA. I wasn't making crazy money, mm-hmm. but probably like what a first or second year associate is making now at a firm like Mixing Z or BCG, like a one hundred and fifty ish or so, or, or one hundred and twenty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so you're
0: you're there. You're still kind of. Um, yeah, I'll let you tell it. Go ahead.
1: Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> essentially, <laughs> the choices are to get promoted. And that essentially means you have less control over your life because if there's a client meeting that you need to go to in person, like that is out of your control because you're in a position to try and move up in the firm and you have to go see the clients. That's kind of a, that everyone reaches that point at some time in a consulting firm where your schedule no longer becomes your schedule and you have to enter this like three to five year grind of pretty much serving anyone that wants you to serve them anywhere you have to fly in the world. And I don't think that was for me. Um, there was some other stuff going on. The firm I was a little frustrated at. It was, it was hard being at a executive search firm that operates at a much slower speed than a consulting firm does. Um, I, at that point, I had an offer for another firm called LRN, which was doing consulting around, like, how do you create a um, future of work organization? And they basically uh, lowballed me mm-hmm. about 50 grand under what I was making. Yep. And I had a great conversation with a guy there who has now become a mentor and a friend, but, um, kind of brainstorming during that conversation and was saying to myself, well, if I'm going to take a pay cut, why not just try to work on my own as a freelancer and work way less instead of taking a pay cut and working the same amount of weeks? Um, So that was kind of the first... um, The light bulb uh, moment. (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of the it started to appear in my brain as like a, an idea. And then th- there was a couple of situations which led to a good, uh, breaking point for me deciding to walk away. And it was basically reflecting on some principles I wrote down in business school mm-hmm. around like who I wanted to be and mm-hmm. like what work should be as part of my life. Yep. And I found myself becoming a little rough around the edges and due to, uh, a few different situations at work and I think a lot of it was my fault and just I wasn't aligned for the next steps in a big firm like that I yeah, it wasn't sounds like that there was
0: some conflict person. it sounds like there was some conflict either with bosses or whatnot where there you didn't really kind of know the next step or they didn't know how to guide you or whatnot and you know I got fired six months into my first private equity gig so you know there's I don't know if you got fired but like my point is sometimes they're just not the right fit or sometimes you, you kind of run yeah. the natural court, you know, things run it's their natural course within an organization and you're just not sure what to do next or you have to figure out what's next. So it sounds like right. you, you had some interesting discussions here, um, with, with this eventual mentor. Tell me what that led to. Tell me what, what was next for you.
1: Yeah. So I think
2: as you alluded
1: point, to, I yeah. was having some conflicts with a higher up person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as I've had time to reflect, it was really that I was ready to take this leap. Like, I was so ready to take this leap, but I was a little blind to it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you asked me two years ago, I would have said, like, I left because of I just didn't agree. I didn't get along well with my boss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty obvious now that I was just ready to shift in a new direction and kind of discover a new relationship with what work meant in my life. Um, so yeah, had this conversation, um, and basically it was like, all right, I'm going to get my bonus and then just leave. I ended up giving back $24,000 in signing bonus cause I didn't finish out the third year. Okay. Um, but Jeez. at this point i built up some savings, um, right. and was basically at the point, like, screw it. Like if I'm going to go, I need to go now. I, I'm not going to flail around for another like eight months just to get money. Like that—that that is not the principles I wrote down that matter to me. Right.
0: Um, so tell me, so what was the, what was the next step in, was this, the, was this a stage where you're like, Hey, I'm just forget the paycheck. I'm going out on my own.
1: Yeah. So I told them and I, think my boss kind of knew it was coming, mm-hmm. um, but I still was pretty, had a pretty uh, crucial role in a number of projects I was leading that yep. were um, pretty high visibility, and we agreed on a three-month transition, I think. Yep. Um, and this was basically to, like, help recruit replacement, help, like, build some of the infrastructure, and just have a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I started my LLC. I started coming up with a name and conception of what my freelance um, practice might look like. And I also just booked a trip to Europe because I I knew after this job, like I needed like four or five weeks just to wander. So Um, tell me me where you wandered and tell me how that was.
0: (laughs) What's that? Tell me where you wandered and tell me how that was. So you find, you know, I assume you got that all set up. You found, you know, helped the, get the process set up. And then when you, what was that last kind of, not that last day, but that first, that first day not working, what was that like?
1: I think, I think I was carrying a lot of stress and anxiety from the job still. Mm -hmm. Um, I had let, I let a lot of frustrations get to me Mm -hmm. and I don't think I had a lot of awareness on where a lot of my discontent and disconnection and frustration was coming from. I think I have a clear view now. Uh, but I think it was also working in New York where people just take work a lot more seriously yeah. compared to Boston where I had worked seven years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends increasingly working more and more, moving away and like I would get out of work and, didn't have like a social network to hang out with people would work long hours um kind of just feeling a little stressed um with my life but i honestly don't remember that first day mm-hmm. i think i just kind of wandered around new york <laughs> okay um was the plan to
0: stay I in new I, york like, was the plan to go back home was the plan to go back home to to boston was the what was the immediate plan kind of okay, you got to I pay rent. I was
1: planning on staying in New York at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't really thought too deep deeply about this. I basically wandered for five or six days, started reaching out to people, like put the notice up on LinkedIn that I was freelancing. Um, and then just went to Europe and kind of wandered for four or five weeks, went to um, Spain, Portugal, um Where else did I go? Italy. France. And um, did that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a good time for me. I wrote a lot. I kind of journaled and was reflecting on, like, where do I want to go? What kind of happened? What did I go through? Um, And just disconnecting. I think it took a good four or five weeks just to, like, let myself relax and let go of some of the emotions that I had been carrying with me.
0: Tell me a little bit about when you kind of knew what the next step was going to be, or you know, you, you had started already kind of creating the LLC. Tell me a little bit about that that business and wh- how does it, you know, in what form is it today? How is it? How is it going? How did you even land your first client? How did you go about even thinking about building, you know, the business development function of this or, how, or, or building it up and landing actual clients?
1: Yeah, so I had a lot of connections just from working from the previous 10 years. And I mm-hmm. just started reaching out to friends. Um, the first gig I landed it was pretty funny. It was, I went to the MIT Business School five year reunion before I went on my Europe trip, mm-hmm. like a few days before. And one of my professors said, Hey, we need some freelance help. Uh, and I said, Well, I'm going to Europe for four weeks. She said, That's fine. Just email me at the end. Um, and we'll try to figure something out. And I was kind of nervous about that. I didn't know if it would come through. And when I came back from Europe, ended up reaching out to her and landing a project through that. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, at the same time, I was just reaching out to a bunch of people just to have conversations. Hey, I'm freelancing. Here's what I'm excited and passionate about. I reached out to some small consulting firms in New York. Mm -hmm. um, And a lot of them are always looking for additional support Yep. If they ever win a big project, they often can't scale up as well. Right. Um, yeah. Met with other freelancers, just learning from them. I signed up for the talent platforms mm-hmm. um, and then landed the gig with my MIT professor, helping her build out a nonprofit she was working on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was my first stable gig for about three months. Yep. And while I was doing that, I ended up landing a couple other gigs on the side, and in that first six months, basically realized that I could make this work. And I think the first six months to a year of freelancing are really just proving yourself. Can I do this? What does it feel like? What are some of the shifts I'm going through? What is work's role in my life? Can I motivate myself to get up and do work every day? And could you? Or was it, what however? Was
0: it, what was the struggle? Yeah.
1: How, was it hard? Or was it exciting? Uh, <sighs> I've pretty much found in the last two and a half years that I should have left for self-employment like after, right after McKinsey, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I've discovered is a new relationship with work. I've been able to prioritize life first and then try to see what work I want to do to design around that. Mm Um, i am a lot more comfortable not optimizing and escalating earnings every year. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need a lot for a good life, um, so I'm a lot more comfortable. I make less than I did previously yep. for the last three years, too, mm-hmm. um, so that's been nice. Um, I've also just. Do you mind me asking uh, what, around what you're bringing in on average
0: the last few years doing this kind of on your own? Obviously, you just started it, but um, you know, as a freelancer, is it is it like a fifty percent pay cut? And how are you how are you keeping your expenses kind of under control?
1: Yeah, well, short answer now is I live in Taiwan and it's pretty cheap to live here. Okay, fair. (laughs) Um, So when I moved to, I was in New York when I started freelancing. I did the project for the MIT professor, and Mm -hmm. I quickly like I don't know why this didn't occur to me, but basically, if you have location independence, Mm -hmm. um, you quickly realize that every day you spend in New York, you're basically lighting money on fire, (laughs) both taxes and just like day to day. Yep. Like lunch is like forty percent more, yep, um, so I decided I would sublet the remaining lease in New York and basically evacuate New York City, move to Boston, <laughs> get a sublet there mm-hmm. um and just by physically being up there, I was saving money because I was spending dramatically less, so I basically cut my cost of living dramatically, and I from realized like from
0: what like three thousand be... a month, three, four thousand a month to two thousand three thousand a month
1: something like that so i've written about this i think it was yeah. like fifty five hundred a month to thirty two hundred a I mean, that's month that's a big difference it's a huge difference yeah yeah, yeah. um okay. so the less you spend the less you have to work too yeah which is this magic <laughs> formula of self-employment <laughs> right that doesn't occur to you as a full-time employee right um you get addicted to that so paycheck, the first, right? <laughs> yeah and the first six months of freelancing i think i made like fifty five thousand mm-hmm. um and i kind of proved to myself i could make a lot of money if i needed to right or if i wanted to um and then after that i dedicated a lot more time just to creative projects
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and kind of saying no to consulting projects um unless it was something that was really kind of igniting my energy tell me a little bit and more then, about you tell me more about your creative projects and then yeah, yeah. and then um, well, I was going to give you the money figures first. You want yeah, yeah first?
0: sure. Sorry. Yes, go ahead.
1: Um, and then the first so the, uh, year two, so I look at the first six months separate because then I kind of shifted away from just going all out and consulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, second year, I think I ended up making like 45 to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this year, it's probably going to be like 45. Um, but the whole nature of how I make money has shifted in the last two years, too. Um, Tell me about And that. this all started about two years ago. Yep. I basically decided after, I think one of the months, I ended up making like 20 grand in one month.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, after that, all right, I'm going to take a couple months off and just create all these ideas floating around in my head. Mm-hmm. That's when I launched my blog, Boundless, um, my right. podcast, which is now called Reimagine Work. Um, I started writing a little more seriously and, um, basically was saying no to projects Mm -hmm. and there was this kind of creative energy that was ignited in me that I haven't been able to calm down since. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's led to a lot of, uh, different things. So that's led to me creating this strategy consulting course, which I'm now running, Mm -hmm. um, i've experimented with working in different ways like i do presentation coaching with executives now that's a new kind of uh freelancing i'm doing in the last six months um i've done coaching um, around people and their relationship with work and i've created a whole course around that as well and um where can people find these courses
0: where can people find all these
1: Uh, So you can find pretty much everything I'm working on on Mm -hmm. think-boundless.com or my strategy consulting um, has emerged into its own thing around strategyu.co. Great. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. Yeah. And like basically the theme is I just keep experimenting and trying new ways of working and challenging myself and just trying to imagine, like, what could life be if work is not at the center of your life? Um, So during that time of creating the podcast, I landed a gig after that break Mm -hmm. of building a consulting skills training program. And I landed this about a week before I was supposed to go to Asia for a month. And I told them, I'll do the work 25% of the time from Asia for this hourly rate, which was like a really good hourly rate. Yep. And they were like, fine, yeah, you're perfect for this. Um, so I was doing one of the projects from Bali at a surf shack with my buddy, paying $20 a night for lodging, overlooking the water, working from a cafe. And that's when I decided, all right, I'm going to try and move to Asia now and work and try to design all of my work to be remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of signed up for this adventure. Along the way, I ended up meeting someone. Um, we are now married, uh, we live together in Taiwan and, um, probably going to go on a further adventure in the next couple of years of permanently kind of being nomadic and trying to figure this all out, living abroad and working remotely and inventing new kinds of work. So it's a fun journey. It's exciting,
0: man. It's, uh, sounds really (laughs) cool. So you've been, but you've been in Taiwan for then a year or so now, married, yeah, about a year and a half. Year and a half. Okay, great. And so tell me about tell me about that a little bit. Is it something where you feel like, so you said you're going to go on another adventure. I assume that's with your wife to different, just tra- more traveling and working. In,
1: yeah, in, so mm-hmm. I think, I mean, she's originally from Taiwan. I'm from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we both have this mindset of how do we design work around life. Mm-hmm. I think one of the goals for us is to be able to live flexibly yep. when you have families from two different cultures with 12 hours apart um, time zone. Uh, if you're working in a full time job, we're going to be able to visit them maybe two weeks a year. Right. right. Yeah. So we really want to take the next couple of years to travel mm-hmm. and during that time kind of meet other entrepreneurs, try to start different businesses And try to make it work, so we could live longer term, maybe like three months um, with our parents in different locations, which would be pretty cool. So that's kind of the vision. For
0: sure, for sure, that's awesome, man. That's exciting. It's a, it's you definitely hear about this lifestyle design ever since you know Tim Ferriss came out with his book, (laughs) The Four Hour Work Week, way back in the day, and it sounds like you're. Kind of following right in his footsteps in that path, you've kind of been able to extract your yourself from the the nine to five in the office uh life successfully and and you're really living that um which is it's, it's super exciting um and I, yeah
1: you to, yeah you ahead. don't see a ton of people do it at the stage I did in my career
0: mm-hmm.
1: i th- I think part of this is because it's almost too easy to make a like ton of money yeah um, like it, it kind of disturbs like my parents, I think, because they're just like, how could you walk away from so much money? Right. And for me, it's simple because it all comes down to living a meaningful life and spending time in like a way where I can be in a good, um, mind space to really help people and do it in a positive way. Right. Um, but you don't see a lot of people like my business school peers stepping away there are some of us and we all kind of talk to each other yeah um and you see some consultants go freelance but they really figure out quickly oh i can even make even more money than when i was working at a consulting firm and they but just, they just grind yeah i haven't yeah. found a ton of people doing it like exactly the way i'm doing now which has been pretty interesting it's really interesting
0: listen i think you'd give yourself any sort of kind of Advice you'd give your younger self? It sounds like you would have told yourself to to oh, do it earlier.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think um, I think I would have tried to give him, give myself some advice to inch towards maybe something like mindfulness or just getting perspectives from outside the bubbles I was in. Yeah. Which is very like corporate success prestige, like. I don't think I had a lot of perspectives at that age, but like the world has changed so much. I, I don't think today's college students realize how lucky they are. Like so many resources on LinkedIn and or YouTube, I mean, mm-hmm. and LinkedIn, too. Like when I was graduating, we didn't have LinkedIn to reach out to people. Yeah. Um, you can find out about so many more careers. You can travel so much easier. You can start a company so much easier, mm-hmm. um, and it almost worries me sometimes. People just going like headfirst into these same paths I was doing 12 years ago. Right. Um, it's almost like I wish they would consider other perspectives. But I think these jobs also can be a great place to uh, start your career as well.
0: Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. I mean. I look back at my banking days and I think to myself, like, would I do it again? Well, if I'd known what I was getting into, probably not. But was it good for me? Yes. (laughs) Um, It's just like, you know, was that training, uh, was that, you know, those sleepless nights and the sleep deprivation good? Probably not good for my health, but good for my career and good for my just overall perspective. I'd say yes. It also makes you appreciate that time. Like that, it, it makes you appreciate probably the life you have now, you know, when you, when you. Had the struggles oh, with yeah. your your previous firms and stuff like that, so I think that's you shouldn't underestimate that either. You know, having gone through that. Well, long this is,
1: yeah. yeah, this is the thing to figure out too when you're working in these firms is figure out what actually brings you alive. Mm-hmm. I was pretty lucky actually because mm-hmm. I really liked consulting, like the problem solving process, the iteration. I loved making PowerPoint slides. I loved teaching and coaching other people. And I was able to do a lot of that within these firms. Right. And I think a lot of people are at these firms because they're trying to be successful. I was able to stay in the firms for nine years because I loved the underlying work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I would have liked it less so if I was working 80 hours a week. So I was always lucky to be in these roles where I didn't work crazy hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So just be to like, focus on what do you actually like about these things and how could that factor into a sustainable life or work for the future
0: that's great well i think we'll end it on that i think it's great advice um thank you so much paul for joining the podcast and thanks to you my listeners at wall street oasis if you have any suggestions whatsoever please don't hesitate to send them my way patrick at wallstreetoasis.com until next time